Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Today I'm going to attempt to finish up our series, Bitter or Better. Let me review just for a few moments. Um, because we did have a hiatus in the middle of this series. Last week, I felt God wanted me to speak to the fathers and the men in the room, and so we took a break from this series, and today we return to it to close it out. But let me review where we've been already in this series so, so that we can all be on the same page. The first week of this series, we looked at Exodus chapter 15. The Israelites, they were on their journey out of slavery, out of Egypt, and they went three days into the wilderness without any water. They had been separated from their enemies, but God needed to remove the disease of bitterness from their souls. But when they finally did find water, they realized that the water was bitter. But it was there that God commanded Moses to throw a dead tree into the water, a log, and it made the water sweet. They were not there to find water. They were there to find a tree. And I told you, sometimes people, they just need a good lick from the tree of Calvary to become sweet again. And for some of us in the room, that's what we need, man. We just need to run back to the cross and maybe just bang our head on the cross for a moment because we need to become sweet once again. And God did not allow the Israelites to stay at a place of bitterness. He led them, the Bible says he led them to fresh water, to fresh water springs. And we must understand that the difficulties of life are intended to make us better, not bitter. So that's where we're at. And week two, week two, Pastor Andrew led us and did such a phenomenal job. Man, I went back and I listened to the podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you need to listen to it because he looked at 1 Samuel chapter 18 and he showed us the events that led to bitterness in King Saul. King Saul's bitterness was aimed at David. And in his rage, King Saul threw spears at David. Andrew told us that in life we have a choice. We can be like Saul and we can become bitter, or we can be like David and become broken. And the statement in that podcast that stood out to me, and even that day during church, people, man, they were throwing it out there on social media, and I was loving seeing it. And this was the statement that Andrew shared with us, bitter people throw spears. That's what they do. They throw spears. And you have a choice to make. You can either be that guy, be that woman that that throws spears, Or you can allow God to break you. Because when God breaks you, he has a wonderful way of putting you back together again. There was a surgeon, an engineer, and a politician that were debating which of their professions was the oldest. The surgeon said, well, Eve was made from Adam's rib. And that, of course, was a surgical procedure. So obviously, surgery is the oldest profession. The engineer countered with, yes, but before that, order was created out of chaos, and that most certainly was an engineering job. The politician smiled and said triumphantly, aha, and just who do you think created the chaos? (laughs) I want to return back to a statement that I made in the first week of this series. The difficulties of life are intended to make us better, not bitter. And events from this past week, I'm afraid, have caused too many people to become bitter. This past Friday, the Supreme Court of the United States made a decision five to four that legalized same-sex marriage in all 50 states. We must ask ourselves if the difficulties of life will make us better or bitter. 
I have battled all weekend with whether or not I was going to speak of this decision. At first, I just thought that I would not because I don't like feeling uh, the pressure of society. I just don't like doing that. When God has laid specific things on my heart and on my mind, I, I like following that direction. And I don't want to be influenced by anything else. Then I thought that I would just take a few moments this morning and, and address it because it's too big not to. And I know it's on everybody's hearts, everybody's mind. It's all over your, your Facebook and Twitter feeds. You've seen it. It's, it's all out there. And then last night, after I had a different sermon prepared, I felt the Holy Spirit guiding me and his word kept coming to me. And so I am very reluctantly going to address it today. Not because I'm afraid of defending truth, not at all. I have no problem defending truth and it's not because I waver on my stance. Trust me, you'll know where I stand by the end of this sermon. Um, I have refrained from posting anything on social media and oh how I wish that both sides would do the same. I really do. I, I wish that people would, would really think before they act because it seems that our social media outlets bring out the most arrogant and ignorant of statements on both sides. All over America today, pastors will be addressing this subject. And some are going to preach truth with love, and I'm fine with that. Some will preach a form of truth with bitterness, and that's where we get in trouble. And so today, I just need God to guide me. I, I need you to listen close to me so that I am not misunderstood. Uh, I will at times be very plain and very blunt, but I also want to operate in wisdom and grace and the mercy that flows from Calvary. And so I'm gonna ask you as I did the first service, if you feel comfortable with stretching your hands towards me, I want you to pray for me. And if not, just sit there and whisper a prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that you give me Lord, I just want to be a good shepherd as you have put me over these sheep. Lord, I ask right now that you purge anything from my thought, from my thought process, from my heart, Lord. Purge anything from my notes that you would not have me share. God, I have sought your heart, and I want to speak the truth. According to Ephesians 4, I want to speak it with love. And so, Lord, you help me today. I cannot do this without you. And God, I acknowledge that I am just a vessel of yours. Without you, I am nothing. Lord, let people hear your heart through me today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First of all, if you know me, you know that I am a Bible-believing Christian. There should be no doubt in your heart, no doubt in your mind, that I believe in God's Word. I believe in God's whole Word, rightly divided. I believe that this is the infallible Word of God, and I don't believe that it changes. I don't believe that we should change it. I believe that God's Word is here to instruct us, to guide us, to correct us. As a matter of fact, somebody walked to me after service, and, and they handed me this little note that they, they wrote on the back of a piece of paper during service. It's 2 Timothy 4 and 2, and it says, Preach the Word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And so if you know me, you know that I believe that wholeheartedly. And let me share with you a little bit of the history of, of this topic. Because I'm afraid we're catching some people off guard because they simply just don't know. The church's stance on homosexuality has been that it is sinful. This has not changed and most likely it will not change. 
I wholeheartedly believe, and I need you to listen to me, and I need you to listen to me through the endurance of this. Please, don't, don't leave, don't, don't misquote me, but please listen. I wholeheartedly believe that homosexuality is a sin. I believe that because I believe it goes against the Word of God. Don't tune me out if you disagree, but I do need to clarify a few things, so please listen close. Leviticus 18 and verse 22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20 and verse 13 says, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. And some may argue. Now listen, I can already see it on your faces. Some people are going to argue and say, Well, that is Old Testament. It does not apply under the New Covenant. But the New Testament does address this. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says, Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. So listen to what Paul is saying. He's saying the law, the Old Testament law, it is laid down for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. And then it gets very specific to whom this applies. For those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And then in 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, it says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It asks that question. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Then in 1 Corinthians 7 and 2 it says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now listen, I believe in my personal convictions that God's word is very plain on, on what is sin and what is not sin. And honestly, here today, it's going to shock some of you, some of you that have been raised in church. This, this statement is going to catch you off guard a little bit, but just listen to me. I don't care to argue on whether or not someone can be born gay. I think we have focused and we've majored on some of the minors and forgot about the big deal. Because that, in my opinion, is not even an argument. Psalm 51 and 5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, the argument is not whether or not you were born gay. We were all born sinners. Everybody in this room, we were all born sinners. But an encounter with Christ will change you. It should change you. It must change you. There can't be any ifs or buts or ands. An encounter with Christ changes you. Romans 12 and 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, when we come to Christ, we are made to be new creations. We are not the same. We are not the, the, the same person that we were born to be. We're born into sin. We are born as sinners, but an encounter with Christ changes us. And my concern is that we are called to live lives that exemplify the teachings of Christ. As Christians, that's what we're called to do. Now listen close to me, because I promise you, I'm working on so many emotions right now, and, and you're going to go through so many emotions by the end of this, you're going to like one of them, I promise. But when it comes to the sanctity of marriage, we as Christians have failed. Miserably. When it comes to the sanctity of marriage and protecting marriage, we have failed and we have lost our voice in society because of that. 
I, I knew I was not going to get very many amens. I knew it. I knew it. it's all right. I'm still going to keep preaching. You just don't have to show up next week. We've lost our voice. Malachi 2 and 16 says, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Listen to what God says. Matthew 19 and 9, Jesus said these words. He said, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Mark 10 and 12, Jesus said, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You see, church, it saddens me that the divorce rate among Christians is the same as the divorce rate among non-Christians. This should break our hearts. It's 50%. 50% of married Christians, their marriages fail the same as unbelievers. Somewhere in there, we have lost our right to talk about marriage, to speak about marriage, because we have not protected the, sancti the sanctity of marriage. We treat marriage as if we created it, as if we had something to define it, as, as if we actually had the ability to lay down the standards. And we decide in our minds what verses that we want to hold on to and what verses we want to fight for, and we disregard what we don't want to apply to our own lives. That's how we have not uh, protected the sanctity of marriage not only does the Supreme Court not get to make the rules about marriage, but neither do we. As Christians, we don't get to redefine it either. And our examples for others to follow, they must improve. They must improve. If we want those that are practicing something that we don't believe in, if we want them to do what we do, if we want them to become like us, then we've got to give them something to admire. We've got to give them something to strive for. And let me tell you, over the past few decades, we have dropped the ball with marriage, and therefore they have no concern of wanting anything that we have in our marriages. Amen. Our example for them to follow must improve. If we want to impact this world with the good news of Christ, then go and fix your marriage and show the world what real grace and what real mercy looks like. I have watched social media for the past two days, and I have seen so many people declare God's judgment over America. Please listen to me. Unless you are a prophet, stop. Stop. You're embarrassing the rest of us. And if you are a prophet, then learn to operate in grace, mercy, and wisdom. Because even the Bible warned us that the spirit of a prophet has the tendency to be a little too harsh sometimes. You need to learn to, to operate in grace and mercy and wisdom when you speak. Here's the bottom line. God judges sin, period. God judges sin. He will judge all sin unless it is forgiven. And if the judgment is immediate, if that's the way God works, and I know some, of, some people are, are out there right now on Facebook saying God is about to judge us, that, that you know, economy is going to crash and all this kind of stuff is about to happen because of, of our decisions and what we're doing right now. If judgment is immediate from God, then California would have broken off from this continent and been just drowned years ago. It would have happened, okay? So get over that. Quit using that as your, as your soapbox to get on. And don't worry, if God judges 
judges nations for redefining marriages, Ireland did it first. And so we're going to see him judge them, and we have time to repent before he judges us. Amen? Okay. God will one day judge all sin, not just what we want to define as sin. God will one day judge all sin, and this includes and is not limited to prayer being taken out of schools. It includes Roe versus Wade and the topic of abortion. It includes redefining marriage. But God judges all sin. Did you know that in the New Testament, we're talking New Covenant now, in the New Testament, people were put to death over withholding finances from God. How many of you want to give right now? You're ready to give right now. See? We want to judge what sins we want to judge, but we don't realize that the rules and the standards for living are throughout God's word, and God will eventually judge all sin, not just what we want to highlight. God's word teaches us that the wages of sin is death. Sin is going to be judged, not just what we think is serious. Now, let me talk to you about that just for a moment because this, this is really what bothers me is that when it comes to the sin of homosexuality, I don't want to be right. Please hear my heart. When it comes to sin in general, I don't want to be right. The convictions that I have on my life and the way that I interpret God's word, God, I pray that, that grace and mercy are greater than what I can imagine. I hope it's so much greater than what we used to sing about when we were in Sunday school. I hope that God's grace and mercy is big, bigger than what my mind can even fathom. Because the reality is this, friends, hell is real. And it is not my wish that anyone would have to experience that. And so if you get on social media or if you have your water cooler conversation and you are prideful in the fact that people are going to hell, then, then there's something wrong with you. There's something that has to change within you. It should break our hearts. It's not my will that anyone would have to go there. And it's not the father's will that, that anyone would have to experience it either. John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. See, God does not want that for people either. Neither should we. So get off of your high horse, quit being judgmental, and realize that if we are right about this, that there are people that are going to pay a devil's hell for their sin, and that should not be something that excites us. The consequences of sin should be heartbreaking. Please understand this. God is not offended by the Supreme Court decision. God is heartbroken because of that decision. That's truth. I don't care if you amen me or not. And what breaks the heart of God should break our hearts. Did you know that we are one of the few countries on the planet that has constitutional rights? And as wonderful as it may be, please remember that the Constitution and our government, they are both man-made. 
Now listen, if you served in the armed forces and you helped defend our nation and you helped defend our constitution, I'm not taking anything away from you. I am so thankful for you and I am thankful for this nation and I am thankful for our constitution. But do not ever treat the constitution as divine because it is man-made. They are both invented and they are both flawed, both our nation and the constitution. Our constitution may be the best thing going on this planet, but always remember it's not divine. Your government is not the kingdom and God's kingdom is not your government. Amen. The United States is not the kingdom and thankfully the kingdom is not the United States. Amen. You know, you tell this, you talk about your constitutional woes to someone that's living in a third world country. They will not understand it at all, but yet they can be a believer in Christ. You tell this to someone who is serving Jesus Christ in a country where they are not allowed to even own a Bible. You tell that to someone in China that they have to meet in underground churches and in homes when nobody else is watching. You tell that to them and they have no idea what you're talking about because our constitution we, we value so much it doesn't mean a hill of beans around the world it really doesn't and I am first and foremost I am part of a theocracy where God is creator and Jesus is king and then I am blessed to live in a democracy where ultimately people have the say so and I know what you're thinking when I make that statement you think well I didn't have a say so you may not feel like you had a say so on Friday at least some of you may not some of you do but you may not feel like you had a say-so on Friday, but your next-door neighbor, your co-worker, your friend on Facebook, and even some of the people sitting across from the aisle from you right now, they felt like their voice was heard. And, and here's what I've noticed. Democracy is great until it threatens your religious convictions. And at the moment it threatens your religious convictions, then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're losing your rights. We're so worried about the persecution of Christianity some of my colleagues, they're worried about lawsuits. Listen, I am friends with more ministers on Facebook and Twitter than anybody else in this room. I honestly don't think there's anybody else that has as many preacher friends on Facebook and Twitter as I do. And I know you don't want them either. I, I get I don't want some of them, especially after the past 48 hours. Some of them, well, can I tell you, there's one that I absolutely unfollowed. I just, I, I didn't want to hear any more of what he had to say because it was so judgmental. But some of my colleagues are worried about lawsuits if we refuse to marry those of the same sex. And, and I want you to know I am protected by my license as an ordained bishop and my First Amendment right to religious freedom. Even at our last International General Assembly, it, it was put into motion that we are protected, that we cannot perform same-sex marriages through the organization that I'm licensed with. Now, I understand. Could that change? Maybe. But here's what I know, it's not going to be tomorrow, and Jesus told me not to even worry about tomorrow. And so why am I going to spend all this precious time and energy worrying about something that I can do absolutely nothing about right now? We are so worried about being persecuted, and we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be worried about that because honestly, we don't have a clue what persecution really looks like. We have no idea, but we're so worried about it, and we shouldn't be because when we signed up for this gig, there were plenty of warning signs throughout God's Word that moments like this would happen to believers. Second Timothy chapter 
chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. John 15 and 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. In 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 14, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when the glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And then Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Even though we don't really know what persecution is at any moment because of your beliefs, if you feel that you're being persecuted, the Bible warns you and Jesus said, those who are persecuting you, you are to cover them in prayer. Man, I'm telling you, this goes against everything that we feel sometimes when we feel like society is going in a direction that does not honor Jesus Christ. But we have to be willing to look at it through this filter. Because Christianity, it started under persecution. It did. Christianity started as a movement. It started under persecution. From the foundational beginning of Christianity, there has been persecution. There was the Roman Empire and there was a cross that our Savior was crucified on. But church, Rome is dead and Jesus is alive. What are we worried about as Christians? Amen. The decision of the, Supreme, of the Supreme Court, the decision of the Supreme Court, you have to know this, it did, it did not catch God off guard. It didn't catch God, it caught you off guard. Some of you, it caught you off guard. It did not catch God off guard. He saw it coming and God still has a plan and he still has a purpose for his church. So stop panicking because it's not becoming to the world. They don't want to be a part of anything that panics. Our mission has not changed. It just becomes more urgent. And sometimes the method of reaching people might have to change a little bit. I am not as concerned with the decision as I am with our reaction as Christians to the decision. The church has to stop being reactive and we have to begin being proactive. Let's be proactive in the way that we live our lives. Let's actually go outside these doors and set examples for those that don't believe the way that we do. Let's set examples for them. Let's live a life that they look at and they say, I want that. I want to be a part of that. I want my marriage to look like that marriage between that husband and that wife. And, and I can't receive that because it, it, I'm, 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 I'm not following the same guidelines that they're following. When they look at our lives, it needs to be different. Let's be proactive in that way way. Let's be proactive in the way that we pray. Let's be proactive in the way that we fast. And I know I'm going to catch some of you off guard right now because it's not January and I'm already talking about fasting. And for those of you that have never been around here, we, we go on a 21 day corporate fast together and, and those that want to participate do and those that don't, don't. But we just believe God for some great things. But, but let, me, let me really, really just, just allow the Holy Spirit to convict you just for a moment because I want you to think about this. This is such a big deal for our society. But be honest, how many of you were fasting and praying Friday as you were waiting for the Supreme Court's decision? Raise your hand high, let me see it. But it's something that we are going to sever friendships over, right? It's something that we are willing to become so offensive on social media about that we have no voice in their lives afterwards but yet we wouldn't even fast and pray about it. I want you to know I didn't think about it. 
I woke up in the mountains near the border of Georgia and Tennessee, and I ate an ungodly breakfast. <laughs> Fasting was the last thing on my mind. So what do we do next? What do we as Christians, how do we respond to this? What do we do next? I think it's pretty simple. I think, first of all, we pray for those that are perishing. We have to. We have to pray for those that we are in fear that they might not make it to heaven and spend eternity with God. We have to cover them in prayer, and then we live lives that reflect Christ. And that's where Christianity is getting it wrong right now. We've stopped re reflecting Christ. John 12 and 32, Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If we will learn to lift up Jesus, we will have a bigger impact on our society than what we have ever imagined. How do we reach a pregnant, unwed mother? With the love of Christ. She sinned, but we don't hate her. How do we reach an alcoholic? With the love of Christ. He sinned, but we want him to experience God's grace. So how do we reach the gay and lesbian community? With the love of Christ. Is it sin? I believe so. I believe I define that in God's word, Old Testament and New Testament for you. But what we need to do is allow this situation to make us better and not bitter. And too many Christians are becoming bitter right now. It's amazing how 48 hours can change the spirit of a person. It's amazing how much stock we put in a Supreme Court that they make a statement and they change laws and then all of a sudden we're, we're not sweet people anymore. We've got to learn to allow situations like this to make the church better. Stop being bitter. Because hate never wins, and it never will. Because that is contrary to God's word. The Bible says love never fails, and that's because God is love, and God never fails. We don't have to be what we think we have to be. We can take a stand, but still extend the love of Christ to people. Some of you may remember the story of Brett. Brett was a high school friend of mine from my hometown. And Brett was gay. But it was during a time when it was frowned upon that, and you couldn't come out of the closet. You couldn't tell somebody your sexual preferences that way. We lived in a town full of rednecks. And there's no doubt if he would have ever admitted it, he would have probably been beaten numerous times. But Brett became a friend of mine. Even though Brett never admitted it, we all knew it. Brett even had girlfriends, which I wholeheartedly believe was to cover it up. Maybe Brett was struggling and, and he was trying to figure it out in his own mind. 
Brett became a friend of mine. I'll tell you why at first he became a friend of mine because Brett hung out with all the gorgeous girls in high school. And so I wanted to be Brett's friend. Brett actually became a pretty good friend. Years later, I was already in full-time ministry. I was a youth pastor. And we went back home to visit with my parents. Went back to my hometown. And my wife and I and my brother, we, we got into my truck and we were riding around the streets and I was looking to see what had changed over the years. And my mom had told me that she had ran into Brett's grandmother in the grocery store. And she said, Brett's very sick and he most likely will not recover. And immediately I knew what that meant. Brett was HIV positive. Brett had finally given in to that lifestyle and it cost him. And I remember riding around in the truck that night and I drove by Brett's house and my wife will tell you the struggle that I had because I felt like I needed to go inside and pray with Brett on his deathbed. I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, Rocky, you need to let him know that God loves him, that no matter what mistakes he's made, God loves him. And you need to lead him, you need to guide him. And I went by that house a few times and I could not build up the courage to park in that driveway, go inside. Brett never knew me as a Christian. He knew me during some, some times that I'm not even happy. To, and I'm glad my kids aren't here today. I mean, they're, they're on this youth trip. But man, I'm telling you, he knew me during the days that, that I was partying, the days I was drinking. He knew me during that time. How could I have a voice in his life I was scared to death and I could not pull into that driveway and have that uncomfortable conversation about Brett's eternity. And Brett died. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about it. Because what if I was that messenger that was supposed to go to him to exemplify the love of Christ? What if I was that guy that God sent, but I didn't listen? And Brett never repented. And I've prayed often, God, please, please, I pray that you have sent somebody to talk with him. When I was disobedient, God, I hope somebody prayed with him. I hope somebody spoke truth into his life. Had Brett been living on Friday? He may have even celebrated the Supreme Court's decision. Let me tell you something. Where I'm at now in life, I wouldn't have hated him. I would have been concerned. But I wouldn't have hated him. It doesn't bother me that Brett may have celebrated the decision. That doesn't bother me. What haunts me is where Brett may be spending eternity. That's what bothers me. God, forgive me.
forgive me for not living a Christian life in front of him that exemplified Christ. Forgive me, Lord. Let's pray. Father, our nation is so divided right now. Even we as Christians are divided on how to deal with this. And God, there are people in this room that they are torn. Mentally right now, Lord, they are torn because there are people in their lives that they love and they don't know how to treat them. They don't know how to deal with them. We're confused, Lord, because we don't know how to take a stand without being offensive. We're confused, Lord, on how to stand upon your word but also exemplify the love of Christ. And so, God, I'm asking you to guide us. Lord, I do not have a national voice or an international voice, but, Lord, you have given me a voice to speak to this congregation. And, God, I pray that you will guide us. Guide us, Lord. Don't let us rejoice that there may be people dying and going to hell. Never let us be boastful. God, don't let us take a stand so hard that we turn others away. God, protect us. Protect us. Because, Lord, we know the darkness is out there and it is trying to capture us. It's trying to capture our families. And so, Lord, now more than ever, teach us to read your word and to grow in your word because the principles are there, Lord. The truth is there. God, I pray for marriages and families in this room. They have an opportunity to be a testimony and a witness to a lost and dying world. But God, we have just devalued the family. We've devalued, Lord, our marriages. God, challenge us to be light and darkness. Challenge us, Lord. God, I pray that you will allow love for humanity not just the ones we agree with, but love for humanity. Let it flood our hearts. Let it flood our hearts, Lord. God, help us to come to the defense of someone who is living in sin, just as Jesus did with the woman who was about to be stoned. God, let us have a heart of compassion like that. It's not saying that we agree with their lifestyle. Lord, it's just saying we love their souls. We care about them. Lord, teach us. Teach us to have the mind of Christ and to be compassionate for those that might not live according to your word the way that we do. Help us, Lord. God, I pray that nobody else in this room has to live with the shame of knowing a Brit and not saying 
what they should have said. Give us the courage and the right heart to say the tough things that need to be said at the moment they need to be said. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.